Amen. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Who's ready for turkey this week? Are we ready for Thanksgiving this week? Who's already, who's ready for the, what's the thing that, is it the fruitcake? Does anybody like fruitcake? Like you would like fruitcake. That says a lot about you, actually. That says a lot about you, actually. Well, good morning. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors. So glad that you're here. Welcome. If you were visiting for the first time, glad that you were with us this morning. And we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, toward the end of chapter 15, starting in verse 50. If you want to stick your thumb there, if you brought your Bible, we'll be there in just a second. Hey, I just want to pause for just a moment. You know, there's been a couple things that's happened this week on college campuses in our nation. There's been a shooting uh, at the University of Virginia and the University of Idaho, if you've been tracking with that. And it just got me to thinking, you know, college students are under a lot of pressure these days. Would you agree? Yeah, they're under a lot of pressure because they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with their life, right? We've all been there, if those of us are a little bit older and graduated, and trying to figure out where they fit in the world, and there's all the pressures economically and socially, and then they have to deal with this too, you know, and as we've seen the uh, shootings, especially on college campuses, get higher and higher and more frequent. I just want to pray for our students. You know, they're entering into Thanksgiving, and then it's finals week, right? Which I was never, ever, ever ready for finals week, ever, in undergrad. But somehow, God is gracious and kind. But I just want to pray for, thank you. Uh, but I just want to pray for University of Virginia and University of Idaho. So can you just bow your heads for just a second? Lord, I just lift up these campuses to you. Uh, Lord, as they're dealing with grief and loss with the football players at Virginia and the girl, female students at Idaho. And God, I know that while we grieve and we hurt with them, Lord, that there is a purpose and a plan in the midst of this grief. And, and Jesus, I pray that you would be amazingly present through the believers that are on those campuses and that we actually have a hope. And when I think about uh, college students and just my own college career, God, it's a time filled with joy and wonder and excitement and also a little fear and trepidation. And then when you throw the craziness and the brokenness of this world on top of it, sometimes it, it could be a place where we find no hope, but there is hope in you. So I pray, Lord, um, again, that those that are grieving would, would grieve, those that are hurting would hurt, Lord, and that you would put people around them to love them well and point them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. So as I said, we're wrapping up Corinthians. We've been in 1 Corinthians for a year, if you can believe it. This is a year to the, to the day, calendar-wise, although we've taken some pauses. So who's, I'm excited to be done. I think you're excited to be done. But also, as I said, we are entering into the holiday season. And one of the things, one of the great things to discuss in, in Christendom is the, the attack of the, of the world on the holidays, right? We see this every year. Like I was traveling a couple weeks ago and, and saw a Christmas tree up in the airport before barely October was over, right? And, you know, and that happens. And, and so here's the thing. I read this the other day, and this is probably going to, upset some of you, but I just, I feel like it's really important to mention this morning. Um, I read the other day that coffee companies are, because you know, they're always trying to find the new thing, right? And they are coming up with a new coffee drink that is part pumpkin spice latte and part peppermint latte. And they're combining the two, right? They're combined two. And so here's the, the idea behind it is this, is that those of you that like pumpkin spice lattes, which 
you need to repent, but whatever, whatever, right? Uh, if you like pumpkin spice lattes, you will actually taste pumpkin spice. But on the other side, right, if you like peppermint lattes, you need to repent as well, by the way, uh, you'll taste that. And then if you like both, I actually don't know what it tastes like. And I'm, I'm almost curious to find out. So, you know, so I'm kidding. I just made all that up. There's actually no drink that way. But I was like, imagine, if you will, that someone is going to try that at some point, right? And show us how all wrong we are in our holiday choices. Here's your holiday drinks if you're curious. It's tea or coffee. That's it. Like, there's no pumpkin spice. There's no peppermint. Like, if you like that, I'm sorry. You need to spend some time with the Lord. But anyway, <laughs> I digress. So Travis last week uh, talked about the resurrected body at the beginning of chapter 15. Ours and Christ. And this morning we're going to continue this thread as we wrap up Corinthians this morning. And one thing I walked away with this past week is Jesus' resurrection is the foundation, is the foundation and hope of our own, my own resurrection and Christians throughout all of time. And so as we talk about, as we looked at last week, and Travis did such a great job last week looking at Jesus' resurrection and making that argument, I was like, wait. My resurrection is not dependent upon what I do. It's dependent upon what Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so another way of looking at it is our lives are perishable. And we'll get more into that in a moment. And the fading way of looking at the end times is life leading to death. That's the worldly way of looking at the end of the world. Well, I'm alive now, but I'm walking towards the end which means death, but the imperishable way, the, I think the gospel way of looking at the world or the non-fading way of the end times is actually, no, death is leading to life. Death is leading to life and how countercultural that is, right? The culture would say, let's get everything and hold on to as hard as we can, as long as we can, where Jesus showed us such a magnificent way of letting go and say, no, actually, my death leads to life and your death leads to life as well. So I don't know if that is for you this morning. I just felt that that was very important to say this morning. A way to live this holiday season out is that actually know our deaths daily and ultimately will lead to life and life eternal. And all religions concerns themselves with what does holiness in our day-to-day lives mean and what does it have to do with our immortality and eternity on the other side. Right? All religions are trying to answer this question. What I love is, is though the difference between religion and Christianity is that Jesus answered the question. We don't have to work our way to get there. Now, and Travis touched on that idea of perishable versus imperishable last week, and I decided to make a little list to help us recap as we move forward this morning. So if you'll throw that on the board, I think it's there. There you go, right? So here's the thing. This is chapter 15, if you want to review. So perishable, you see on the left-hand side, imperishable on the right-hand side. So the perishable, our earthly bodies are perishable. Our heavenly bodies are imperishable. The glory of the earth, right? Like that sunrise at the beach or at the mountains, that thing where you're like, oh my gosh, this is just for me and I feel so close to God. That's going away and the glory of heaven will outshine it will outshine it one day. Our natural bodies are perishable. Our spiritual bodies are immortal. The first Adam, Adam, who fell in the garden is perishing. But the last Adam, Jesus, we'll get to in just a second. Christ is not. The first man from the earth is perishable. The second man from heaven. Just love this image of Jesus replacing Adam as the true Adam, Travis talked about last week. And then finally, the image of the man of dust. Is perishable, but the image of the man from heaven is imperishable. 
imperishable. And so at the beginning of chapter 15, Paul has made two arguments this morning. The reasonableness of our resurrected bodies and the certainty of Christ's resurrection. Those are the first two, but this morning he'll make his final argument on the necessary transformation that will take place on that final day. That song we just sang, there will be a day, also something will happen. Also, something will happen. So the necessary that you and I are going to change. So turn your Bibles, like I said, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 50. If you want to read along, you can follow along on the board. I just want to read this over us this morning. I love this too. This the, the, the heading, if your Bible has it, it says mystery and victory. This is a profound mystery, but there's also a profound victory on the back end of it. So I tell you this, Paul says in chapter or verse 50, excuse me. Brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. There's the list. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on the immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Love that. Just that, just that final exhortation. Guys, hey, at the end of this profound mystery and this victory, right now as we are standing in this moment waiting for that day to come, Paul says, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our work in the Lord is not in vain. You ever feel that way, by the way? I do sometimes, right? Like, the, I just can't get it right. Like, why is this not coming easier? Why is this thing hard? And Paul says, actually, no, our work is not in vain because the victory is not ours. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. Verse 50, Paul uses a literary device called synonymous parallelism to make his point. And you see it here in verse 50. He says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom, right? A, there's A. Letter A, if we're making an outline, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Likewise, the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Blood is perishable, kingdom is imperishable, and Paul uses those arguments to make the same point with the reality of this, that our current physical state cannot inherit. Like our states right now cannot inherit is incompatible with the kingdom. Likewise, the perishable is different from the imperishable. This side of eternity has an expiration date. But God's kingdom, thank the Lord, does not. Right? And we get this, right? No matter, but I, I know it's funny, but we get this understanding no matter how we make guacamole, right? Whether we make it at home, right? Or we make it, or we buy it from the store, right? It goes bad. Like, and who's ever, and so like, you know, that whole labor in vain thing, like sometimes I just want chips and guac, right? Who doesn't love guacamole? Um, and then you go to the fridge and you pull the top and it's gray and dark on the, on the top, right? It just goes ripe and gets bad really quickly. It's like, there is no more greater sign of this world has fallen that guac lasts for about 
22 hours, I think, after you open it. Right? We can't earn eternity on our own. Right? No matter what we do, like the guat, we can't get there. It requires something else. Paul, by the way, writing of the resurrection elsewhere in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I just want to read this over us as well because it's pertinent. And just listen to the similar ideas and themes that I just read as we look at what Paul has to say in Corinthians or Thessalonians as soon as I find my post-it. So Paul says this in chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who are dead, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope, right? The resurrection is hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we also are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. I don't know what that sounds like. I can imagine it's all going to grab our attention now. If it happens right now, I imagine we're looking wherever the east sky is or whatever, right? Through the ceiling, somehow we're going to see him coming through. I don't know what that looks like, but that, that's, that's the image I get. It's going to be so impacted. It's going to be so otherworldly that it's going to part our reality in such a way that we cannot but gaze upon his descending. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, I love this. As Paul was saying in, in, in uh, Corinthians, be immovable, uh, abounding in the work. He says, now, therefore, encourage one another with these words. These words are meant to be an encouragement because there are times where we come to the end of ourselves and then we have to figure out, now what? And Jesus says, well, actually, you don't have to come to the end of yourself because my, myself is the best for you and you don't have to worry about coming to the end. Just lean on me. And so the ingredients are all there in today's passage. Those that believe Jesus died and rose again. In him, those who are already asleep, the dead will rise first. And at the sound of the trumpet, like I said, he will descend and we will ascend. I just love this picture. He's descending, we're ascending. And somewhere in the sky, we meet halfway. We meet halfway, but it's all going to be because of the glory of the Lord. Verse 51, behold, Paul tells us a mystery. Not all will be asleep at Christ's return, but some will. But we both shall be changed. I like that, right? We, some will be alive at his return. Some of us will have preceded us in death. But whether we are alive or dead, we will both be changed. Because where we are right now, whether dead or alive, is not what we're intended to be for eternity. Amen? There is no difference between the dead who are asleep or the living. Both will be changed, right? I understand how this works. There are many mysteries. That's why Paul writes here, that, or the, the translator says, mystery and victory. There are many mysteries of God that will be revealed to us in eternity. But what I love about the resurrection and thinking about this final day is that we won't have to be told what it was like, like we're reading right now. We will all be eyewitnesses. All be eyewitnesses. Imagine that, right? I mean, you know, there's been studies where, you know, eyewitness accounts are not very reliable in, in court testimony. There'll be, no in, there'll be no indecision about what happened. It'll be that clear. 
in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, verse 52 says, the trumpet will sound and we will be raised and changed. Now, I like to run, right? I, I like to run. Um, I like track and field. I like watching track and field as well. The Olympics are a fun time for me because I want to see everybody and think, how in the world did they do what they do? Because I can't do that, right? You know, whether it's a road race or on the track itself, Sydney McLaughlin, anybody heard of her? Anybody heard of Sydney McLaughlin? One of the best American athletes we have right now held, no, notice I say past tense, held the 400-meter world record this past year, right? She held the record at 51.41 seconds. So that's one full lap, or another way of saying it, 400 meters, one lap around the track. She did, she crossed 10 hurdles, ran 400 meters, and did it in 51 seconds, 0.41. That's fast. That's really fast. That's really fast. By the way, just for reference sake, the men just eclipsed the 50-second barrier in the 40s right now. They're like, there's no way, right? Well, three months ago, Sydney ran in the World Championships. So the trifecta for runners is the Olympics, the American record, and then the world record, right? So or, I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the world record, a gold medal Olympic champion, and then the world champion. That's the trifecta. Three months ago in the World Championships, she obliterated her own record. She still holds it by almost a full second faster. A full second. Ran it with 50.6. And it was so fast, halfway down the back straightaway, the announcers were melting down on TV saying, we've never seen this before. She doesn't run this way. She's, she, she usually holds back till she hits that third and fourth turn. You know, right? You, you've seen track races where they hold, hold, and then they push. She was pushing the entire way. She ran so fast the hurdles, her time would have been the seventh fastest in the world just running the 400 without hurdles. That's how fast her time was. A half a second, by the way, is an eternity when it comes to a running race, whether it's on the track or across country. You beat someone by half a second, it is a millennia when it comes to running. Another way of saying it, it's world class. I love this picture here in verse 52. The Greek word for moment, let me read this again over you. Paul says in verse 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. So that moment, the Greek word for moment there is atomos. Atomos, which means indivisible. It means indivisible. It's so small a measure of time, it cannot be divided. Isn't it crazy, though, how we can measure road races and Cindy McLaughlin by hundreds and almost thousands of a second? But Paul is saying the moment, the twinkling of when Jesus descends and then we ascend and the trumpet is barely left our ears and we're changed, it happens so fast that you can't even, even divide the time measure that we could even ascribe to it. Before you even realize, before we even realize what happened, the change will have happened. Doesn't that sound like heaven? Doesn't that sound like heaven? Like, you don't have to worry about, wait, is my, am, I my, am I button? Do I have all my stuff together? Where's my wallet? Where are my key? Where's my family? Like, it's faster than this. In a moment so small that we call it indivisible, you and I will be changed and sealed with God in his presence forever and ever and ever. Amen.
verse 53. Another example of parallelism, Paul does it again, is where the perishable body puts on the imperishable. The mortal has to put on the immortality. So the perishable body, the body that you and I have right now, whether alive or in the ground, will put on the imperishable. And likewise, likewise, the mortal bodies that we now occupy will put on... I'm having trouble today with this thing. Golly. It's like, they call that drag, I think. There you go. Can you hear me better? Is that better? We'll put on the immortal. There'll be no more mic drag anymore in heaven, I think. So here's the thing. You know what's better than avocados? I don't know why I'm in this theme this morning. Do you know what's better than avocados? Guacamole. Guacamole is better than avocados. Come on. Come on. Come on. I like avocados, but guacamole is a little bit better. Agreed? Agreed. Here's the thing. Guacamole, while you can't have guac without avocado, avocados are not guac. See that? It's the same with you and me when it comes to eternity. It's the same. We can't have eternity without a body, but we can't have eternity with the body that we got, which means we have to put on the imperishable. We follow Christ to change and be changed, which Paul brings to crescendo in verses 54 through 55. So the moment of Corinthians, all the things we've been talking about, the unity, the worship, the baptism, the, um, the Lord's Supper, how you eat meals with people in the outside culture, how the church should interact with the outside culture, all the things that we have been talking about for a year that Paul just keeps hammering and hammering and chiseling away and chiseling away finds its crescendo in these two verses, starting in verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Now, you know, if you're familiar at all with, with the Bible, is when it says, that, you know, that it says that shall come to pass, the saying that is written. So now they're quoting something from somewhere else in the Bible. And it says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The resurrection means for you and for me and those of us in Jesus that there will be no more death, no more sting, and we will know victory in place of loss. Victory in place of obliteration. And if you've been with us in Corinthians or, or aware of your shortcomings, right? When you look at First Corinthians, I'm like, how in the world did they do that? We were praying this morning before the service, and I was like, why did the... I think what God showed me is I'm a lot like the Corinthians. I, I kind of get it right, and I kind of don't. And I vacillate between those two things. I don't know if that's you, right? But as humans, we struggle a lot. Agreed? We struggle a lot. We struggle a lot. And I just love this picture that Paul is painting here where it says that struggle, that thing, the thing you hate, that thing that you don't want to be a part of, that thing, that struggle will be swallowed up in victory. And so for the Corinthians, they struggle with how to worship. With communion, how to live well, like I said, immortality, unity, unity. Like in today's world, I think that's the number one thing, right? Unity. What does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to be unified in a way that doesn't detract from his mission and or glory or both, right? The world's saying, well, I don't know, right? I mean, Paul earlier is like, people, are, people who know Jesus, if he's not resurrected, we're to be pitied. I think the world pities us because we're not very good at unity, because we don't offer them anything that makes sense in the grand scheme of things. 
because we're not together under his banner. But then Paul is saying, as he's hammered and hammered and hammered, he says, well, Corinthians, you know, that immorality is swallowed up in victory. Oh, immorality, where is your victory? Oh, immorality, where is your sting? Right? Disunity, Corinthians, disunity is swallowed up in victory. Disunity, where is your victory? Disunity, where is your sting? That non-authentic worship, bad worship, like where is your victory? Where is your sting? Communion for the wrong reasons, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Figuring out how to live differently from the community but still be present in the community, that's the great challenge we face, right? Isn't that the great challenge? Like, how can I stay true to who Jesus is making me to be but also be out there and be loving? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? But then here's the other thing, too. There's hope for us today, too. Just like there's hope for the Corinthians, there's hope for us as well. And so that sickness, that struggle, those broken relationships, those hurts, that woundedness that happened so long ago that you're just trying to walk upright in the world and not repeat the same mistakes that happened to you, right? Or like, gosh, I wish I could go back and fix that. I wish I could do this. Why is my life not working the way that it wants to work? Why is this so hard? Why is the economy stinks? I've got grades. I've got work. I've got school. I've got thoughts. Here's one. I want to be accepted. I want to be loved. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. All those things. So Paul's saying that to you and to me this morning. No sickness. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Struggle, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Broken relationships, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Those hurts that only you know about, that you shudder, that anyone would see them or lest they would find out about them, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Grades, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Money, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Politics, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Acceptance, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Brokenness, where is your victory? Where is your sting? In the twinkling of an eye. In the twinkling of an eye. It's so fast we can't even divide it. All that gets wiped away. All of it. I want you to walk away with this morning that that thing that you're thinking about right now gets wiped away and is being wiped away in his grace and his mercy. And all he asks is for us to trust him in spite of that we can't see the next step and often around the corner and where there's this and there's this thing between us and I've got this stuff in between me and you and God, I pray like mad that you will remove these barriers between you and me. And Paul is saying... It's done. The victory has been won. The stinger has been removed. Satan has been bound. And one day he will descend and we will ascend and we will meet each other in the air in the twinkling of an eye. I love that. Just the idea, verse 55, the tool used by death and sin, that inability to work our way to God. There you go. Guess what? You know what the best, I think, for me Because I'm a perfectionist and I'm a doer. You know what the thing is that I have to remind myself of? Is that I can't earn favor or merit or work my way to God in any way. 
working, approval? Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Isn't that glorious? The tool used by death, sin, and the inability to work our way to God, his standard gets removed. And as much as Paul, I love this, as much as Paul has spent chapters and verses going after and going after the Corinthians, right? Now Paul does this. He taunts and dunks on and scoreboards death because Christ's and death's fangs have been removed for you and for me, right? And now he's turning his attention He's no longer saying, hey, this is where you're all messing up. By the way, you're going to mess up. It's okay because the victory promised is not the victory delivered by you. It is delivered by Jesus. And we scoreboard death and Satan on the way to eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. That sounds fun, right? Talk about that scoreboard moment. Better than any World Cup, better than any national championship, better than any sports team ever winning anything as we get to stare death in the face and say, Tim, it's not you. That's a scoreboard. That's a scoreboard. Love that. Can't wait for that. Verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift. What a gift that you and I don't have to earn or prove worthy of. Jesus decided to do that anyway. Which brings us to verse 58. And again, I started here. I wanted to end here. The Corinthians, the picture for them and the picture for you and for me is in spite of all the things where we're waiting for victory to be supplied and to come to fulfillment, we have it partially. We're waiting for the fourth quarter and the bell, to, the, the, the gun to go off, Right? And he, Paul says this, like here, this is a great witness for the kingdom, I think, this morning, is for us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. That's the picture of what the New Testament church should be, that we don't labor in vain. We should be immovable in spite of all the things, in spite of all the shortcomings, in spite of all the things that get in the way, in spite of all the things that we mess up, in spite of all the things that the world would say, right? In spite of all the spice lattes and the peppermint lattes, right? I mean, all the things, right? All the things, we should be immovable, abounding in work. And, you know, I think here's the thing. Like, I don't ever think, I don't ever think about abounding in work as the verse. When I hear abounding, I think of another word. Do you know the, the scripture? Abounding in what? Love. You want to abound in work? You know what you do? You abound in love. That's how we work. We love. We don't judge. We love. We encourage. We invite. We don't judge. I like that. That on the perishable side, while things are hard, we are not in vain and our work is not in vain. So eschatology, since we're here, is the theology of the end time. Right? That's what we've been talking about the last week or so. We got a little brief mention of it a couple of chapters ago. Eschatology is the theology and the study of the end times. And it's a duality of sorts. Right? It's a duality. We live in this duality. Right? We're redeemed and being redeemed. We're saved and waiting for Jesus' return. And so it's an, it, where it is is it's already an experience. Right? So right now, 
Like, you might be in a hard place, but I would say, in spite of wherever you might find yourself, we get a taste of heaven right now because we have the Holy Spirit residing within us. Right? So it's an already, but it's a not fully yet. Right? I, uh, I've never told my parents this. This is really funny. If they're watching, I don't know. Whatever. You meet me, my mom comes back and visits. Don't tell her, okay? I, uh, I was not a very good student in high school. I was such a bad student, actually. I had to retake geometry to get my diploma. So they let me walk, right? I got to walk. My diploma cover was empty. Forget that. And so I had to like, so I had like six more weeks of summer school to get my diploma. And somehow I'd already gotten accepted into college, which is weird, right? But here's the funny thing. It was like, oh, wait, I've, I've got the cap on. I've got the robe on, right? We're all walking. We're all excited, you know, and I'm like, well, I told my parents. I said, well, they don't can't, They mailed the diplomas because they don't want them broken. I lied. I, okay, I just lied. Okay, it's whatever. I mean, you know, and I'm like, nobody else is opening up their thing. Please, God, don't let anybody open up their thing, right? Because I can't tell my parents I didn't graduate on time. I had to take summers. Please, God, don't do that. He didn't. Um, maybe he did. Maybe they didn't. And they're like, I'm glad you finally came clean. Okay, there you go. Right, but here's the thing. It's ironic, isn't it? Here I am in a cap and a gown, walking on the stage, shaking the hand of the principal, knowing that I have an empty diploma and I still have work to do, right? That's what our lives are spiritually. We know we graduate. We have not earned a diploma because it's not ours to earn. It's his to give. His to give. That's what I mean by an already but not fully yet. You're graduates. You just don't know it yet. You should live like graduates now. We should love like graduates now. We should worship like graduates now. We should give like graduates now. We should serve like graduates now. But there's no better picture of the end times than the resurrection than baptism. Love this picture. You go down in the water perishable spiritually and symbolize coming out of the water a new person. That one day you'll put on the imperishable. So as you dry, right, as you are baptized, you go down perishable, you raise out of the water imperishable, symbolizing what Jesus not only modeled but also did on the cross. And we identify with him. We identify with him. Baptism is identifying with the death and resurrection. It's identifying with the death and resurrection. Through Christ and his resurrection, the end times has begun. And through his return, don't miss this, right? Through Jesus' death and resurrection, the end times have begun. Remember, we talked about this for like weeks. If you believe Jesus is returning, you are a prophetic person because it hasn't happened yet. The end times have begun, and through his return, the end times will come to completion. See that? They've begun, and we're waiting for him to come so that they will be completed. So we get the honor of celebrating the baptism today. I can't think of any better way of closing Corinthians by celebrating the baptism in a moment. So Colin's going to go change. Um, and just a couple of things as the band comes back up, I just want to say. So, man, you can come back up. Colin's going to go change. I think Colin's mom and dad are, are watching, so we're glad that you guys are with us. By the way, Dane's back. He came back early from Africa. Let's say hello to him. Dane, you've been in Africa for almost six months. Yeah, something like that. feels longer than that. Glad you're home. Glad for the work you do over there. But 
since this is the period on Corinthians this morning, I just want to say a couple of things. Paul concludes his letter with the Corinthians saying he's coming soon. So he's writing, to the, writing this to them that he started the church, left, and now is wanting to return. Love that picture. He sends greetings from his partners and the other churches, and he says this to them. I, this is just funny. I think the Bible's full of humor. But this he says. He says, he tells them to greet one another with a holy kiss, right? Have you ever heard that? Like, well, should we do that again? I don't know. Like, you know, what does that look like? I just think it's like the first example of bromance in the Bible. I like that. First example of a bromance. But he says this, in spite of all the things going sideways, we are to be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Isn't that great? Be watchful and be stand firm in the faith. And all we do, remember I said, not abounding in our work, we should also abound in our love. And Paul says this in verse 23 of chapter 16. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so all things that you and I should, be do, should do are marked by love. And so that's my hope as we transition to a response song. I want you to respond. And as we enter into, a, into the Christmas season, the Thanksgiving season, what if we do it in such a way where we are marked by the love that we have for Jesus first and each other second, in spite of the differences that might between, be between us and whoever might be in our circles? And as I said, you know, the, the holidays are hard for some. They're harder for others. They're all not easy, especially if you have that crazy uncle that you're going to be having Thanksgiving lunch with this week, right? They're all hard. But imagine the hope that we will spread. Imagine the hope that we will share by doing all things marked with a love in the grace of the Lord Jesus. And what that will do is we season the season where we celebrate Jesus' first coming to the earth in the form of a helpless babe. Amen? So will you stand and pray with me? Thank you for your, your time this morning. Lord, as I think about what you've shared with us this morning and what we've talked about and what we've done, most of all, Lord, it's what you've done, what you've shared. And my prayer is that we would walk away with the day of a hope where victory is declared and it is settled and the victory of death and sin and the law and the sting has been removed and as we walk forward into thanksgiving this week and as we move into your advent season my prayer god that we would be filled and renewed with a sense of hope there is no better witness than in a world that is full of anger and confusion and disagreements and disunity that we instead bring hope to the world because jesus that's what you are hope. So as we light those candles, we think about the light of your life coming to, to a flame in that manger in Bethlehem. God, may that light, your light, that singular light, Lord, cast a shadow over us right now. And then when I think about how we encourage each other just historically through the Christian faith, Lord, may we light our own candles at your flame. And it's in your name. Amen.